Uh, one of the Dutch master Rembrandt's most famous paintings is entitled The Return of the Prodigal Son. Now this parable has been called the crown of the parables. One person has called it the greatest story that has ever been written. I do not know if Rembrandt was a Christian or not, but he has given us a very wonderful insight in this painting. Do you notice how the father dominates the scene? Do you see that? The prodigal is there in rags to be sure, but his back is turned to us. It's the father who faces us with his arms wrapped around his son and loving compassion in his face. That is very, very helpful because in this parable, the father is the central figure. This parable is about the heart of God the Father in forgiving the lost. Some have said it would be better to call this parable the forgiving father. That would be a better title. Also, it has been called the parable of the lost sons because the elder brother was just as lost as the prodigal. Only the elder brother refused to see his own lostness. In this parable, there are two contrasts. The prodigal son is lost and found. The elder brother is lost but not found. If you read through Luke 15, you will discover the words lost and found are found eight times. Eight times. And what this parable is, is about how lost sinners are found. Now, let me say to us today, all of us are in this parable. Every single one of us. We uh, have either been lost and are now found, or we are still lost and are yet to be found. This morning, uh, we want to return to our series on the parables of Jesus. And today we're coming to Luke 15 and the parable of the prodigal son, the forgiving father, the parable of the lost sons. And there are really two points of action in this story. First of all, we learn what it means to be lost, what it means to have a life ruined by sin. And then secondly, Jesus teaches us what it means to be found, how we can have a life restored by God. Let's take a moment today, shall we? And let's pray for every person who will be here today that they will know which group they are in. Oh, Father, we could perhaps not share any more important lesson from Jesus than this lesson. We recognize how easy it is to be lost, to not know that we are lost, and never recognize we need to be found. And I pray for everyone today who will hear this story from Jesus, that you will show them themselves that if they have been found, they will rejoice. But if they yet have to be found, they will come to the Father whose arms are open wide. Speak to us now, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Luke 15. 
And I want to begin by reading for us the first two verses of this parable. Luke 15, and notice how Jesus begins. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, as we look at this, the very first thing that it means to be lost is that we are estranged from God. This is one of the most shameful things that a Jewish boy could ever do to his father. Normally sons waited for their father's death to inherit and collect the inheritance. Uh, a Bible teacher by the name of Kenneth uh, Bailey has this to say about this episode. Listen to these words. To my knowledge, in all of Middle Eastern literature, aside from this parable, from ancient times to the present, there is no case of any son, older or younger, asking for his inheritance from a father who is still in good health. This was like a death wish for this father. This was like saying to your father, I wish you were dead. It was an insult. It was a slap to the face. Both of my parents have been dead for several years now. And even though they are dead, there is within me something that still motivates me, and it is the desire that I would never shame my parents. They loved me so much. They were so good to me that even though they are now dead, I do not want to bring reproach upon their names. Do you imagine how painful this was to this father? How hurtful this was to him? And we have to ask ourselves, why does he give his younger son one-third of the assets? For that would have been his share. And you know what the answer is? God is gracious to sinners, isn't it? God gives good jobs to atheists, doesn't it? God gives good health to agnostics. God is a good God. And what this boy represents is us. And of course, we know why he did this. He wanted independence. He wanted no restraints. He was convinced he could run his life better than his father. He wanted freedom from his father's control. And is that not the essence of sin? You know the Bible says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That is the essence of sin, living independently from God, running our own lives. Notice the second stage in this lost condition. It is living for worldly pleasure. Verse 13 says, Not many days later... The younger son gathered all he had. You get the impression that he sold the property, turned it into cash assets. And he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now isn't the far country here the world and all that it offers? 
Isn't this the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life? 1 John 2.16 The world can show us a really good time. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews 11.25, there is pleasure in sin for a short time. We can become very successful and very superficially happy in this world without God. And none of these friends that this young man found cared one whit for him that his father's heart was broken. Next stage in this lost condition is he faced an unexpected crisis. Verse 14 says, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Now you know from our study of the book of Ruth that severe famines could arise in the Middle East. And they could go on for many, many years. Because this son had been living for the now, he spent everything that he had, and he forgot to think about the future. By the way, aren't many lost people doing that? Living for the now. Living for this present world. Not thinking about eternity. That's what this son was doing. And now something arose that he could not control a severe famine. Say, what about his friends at this point? Surely the ones who had spent his money would be there for him now, right? Surely they would be. And yet notice the next stage in this lost condition. He was failed by the world. Look at verses 15 and 16. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And now notice this last statement. No one gave him anything. Isn't that just like the ungodly? looking out for themselves. Uh, recently, uh, somebody told me uh, about a woman who had a stroke. Her husband divorced her as a result of that stroke because he did not want to care for an invalid. That's often what the ungodly are like. Look at what happened to this son. Those who told him how to live, how to think, what was true and right, had nothing to help him with now. And life always comes to this place where we are facing something that the world has no answers for. And so Jesus says the final stage down in this young man's condition was he was ashamed and degraded. For a Jew, working for a Gentile, feeding pigs, was the lowest that you could go. Uh, the word pigs is uh, repeated twice in verses 16 and 17, uh, 15 and 16. They were unclean animals to Jews, 
and what they reveal is this teenager who was about 17 years of, old, of age, likely when he left, had become unclean both on the inside and the outside because of his sin. The pods here are a reference to beans from the carob tree. They were used for fattening pigs. Only the very poorest people ate these pods, and they ate them only when they were desperate. Do you know this is the most shameful, degrading condition a Jew could ever sink to? One Bible student said, this is a Jew on skid row. I'll never forget in my previous ministry, I knew a man who did very well in business. He retired early, gave his business to his son. He dumped his wife and married a young, young, much younger woman. It seemed as though he had the world by the tail. Then he got terminal cancer. He only lived a couple more years after he got terminal cancer. His son committed suicide in the very business his father had given to him. The son's marriage was on the rocks, depressed, without a relationship with God to fall back on, he ended it all. And all that that well-to-do father had lived for gave his son no relationship with God to deal with life's problems. I had a part in that young man's funeral. And I want to say to you today that son's funeral was one of the saddest I have ever officiated in as his father sat there realizing that his own life had been wasted. Had been wasted. Let me ask you this morning, why does Jesus take this story this far? Why does he? Well, I think there are three reasons. Number one, I think to teach us the consequences of sin. If there is any story in all the Bible that teaches us where sin leads, it is this story. There's a very famous quotation that says this, Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. How many of us would raise our hands today and say, Pastor, that's a story of what my life was like. I understand the consequences of sin. Second reason why I think Jesus takes it this far is this. While most of us will never go this deep in sin, all of us are somewhere along this line. The Bible says about all of us, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we are all along this continuum somewhere. And then the third reason why I think Jesus takes the story this deep is no matter how far we have sunk in sin, God can still reach us. Isn't that wonderful? God continues to love 
the very worst of all sins. Now, you know what the Pharisees would have said uh, about this son? They would have said, uh, he got what he deserved. He is experiencing the fruits of his own life. It's his own fault. He got what he deserved. They did not understand the heart of God. And God, who is represented by this Father, has a heart of love, even for the worst sinner like this young man. And so we move in this parable. We move from what it's like to have a life ruined by sin to what it's like to be found by God, a life that is restored by God. And I want you to notice how his journey began. It began with true repentance. True repentance. Look at verse 17 and, and notice what happened while he was in the pigsty, feeding pigs, hungry, wanting to eat the very pods that they were eating. Notice what it says. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Now please fasten your eyes on that statement when he came to himself. That is a Hebrew phrase for repented. What it means is that he came to a place of repentance, and this is very much the heart of this parable. Uh, drop back for just a moment to verse 7 in chapter 15, and notice how this is the emphasis of the story. Jesus says in verse 7, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This is the heart of this story. And when it says he came to himself, what it means is he repented. Now the best definition of repentance I've ever heard is repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. And I want you to notice this is where the elder brother comes in because he represents the Pharisees and all like him who thought they did not need to repent. Drop down with me to verse 25 for just a moment. And notice the elder brother. Are there any elder brothers here today? Look what he said. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And your father has killed a fatted calf. 
because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. And he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now this older brother is the anti-prodigal son. And the words and actions here of these two brothers are graphic. And what they reveal to us is the true nature of repentance. Let's just for a moment notice exactly what they said from the text because this reveals to us the true nature of repentance. Now let me say this. Every one of us today is in one of these two categories. We are either the, the prodigal or we are the elder brother. There is no third category. Notice what the prodigal said. In verse 18, when he came home, he said, I have sinned. He showed sorrow for his sin. This is always the first stage of true repentance. We are sorry for what we have done. There are no excuses. There are no blaming. It is, I have sinned. Did you know what the elder brother said? I never disobeyed. Do you know anyone who's really that good? I don't. And this demonstrates his self-righteousness. He thought he was so much better than his younger brother. I have really been a good boy. Notice secondly, the prodigal said, verse 19, I am unworthy. Do you know that's a plea for mercy? When you are unworthy, you recognize, I have no claim on God. I need His mercy. By the way, Christians, as long as we live, we will always be unworthy. Because if we were ever at a place where we were worthy, we would not need Jesus. But because as a Christian, we will need Jesus all the way we are at every stage of our life unworthy and needing the grace of God. Notice what the elder brother said. He said to his father, you never gave me. I'm deserving of what I've got. In fact, I'm deserving of more than I got. No plea for mercy. No understanding of grace. And then notice the younger son he arose and came, verse 20. 
He put feet to his repentance. He not only changed his mind, he changed his direction, and he came to his father. But what does verse 28 say about the elder brother? He refused to go in. He refused to go in. The younger brother came to God. The elder brother refused God. Now let me say again this morning, we are all one or the other. We have either seen ourselves as the prodigal and we have repented, or we see ourselves as the elder brother and we have not repented. Do you know repentance is always the very first start of all true change? All change starts here and the first step sinners ever take towards God is the step of repentance. Now God was grieved with the elder brother. But how does he respond to the prodigal? Let's notice. Notice how he responded. Number one, after his true repentance, the father expressed compassion. Look with me, if you would, back at verse 20. And notice that when the son arose and came to his father, the Bible says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. This is one of the most touching scenes in the whole parable. Can you not just see? The father was watching. He was hoping. How wonderful this is. Listen, God seeks sinners long before we seek Him. And God is the one here who initiates as this boy starts to come home and the father who has been watching and waiting and hoping now sees him and the Bible says he felt compassion. Do you know that is a wonderful word, word that in English does not really do justice to the word? The word compassion here means to have the intestines yearn. Uh, in the ancient world, the intestines, the inner organs were seen as to be the seed of the emotions. And so the idea here is to be moved with compassion. You know what we would say? He had a gut reaction. That's how we would describe it. He had deep pity and sympathy. And is not this every sinner's hope? Is it not? That no sin is too great for the heart of God to go out to us in love. Notice thirdly in this process of being restored, we see God's eager forgiveness. In verse 20 it says, He ran and embraced him and he kissed him. Do you know Middle Eastern fathers do not run? It is against protocol. This is a scene that is completely uh, unseen in the first century as Jesus told this parable. Middle Eastern fathers do not do this. One of my favorite Christian praise songs is based upon this verse. The chorus of that song says this, The Father comes running to me. 
The Father comes running to me with arms open wide and eyes full of love. The Father comes running to me. And all of these actions, running, embracing, kisses, are signs of deepest fellowship. Did you notice, even before this son confesses, his father is ready to forgive. Why? Because he knows his heart. Notice fourthly in this process, there is restored sonship. Look at verse 21 and 22. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Do you know servants went barefoot? Only sons wore expensive sandals. This was not the robe that he had worn before when he was in the father's house. This was the robe that was reserved for honored guests. And the ring that his father gave to him, it was a sign of sonship. In my previous church, there was a father who had a very poor relationship with his two grown sons. One day that father came to my office door. He knocked on the door. He handed me a diamond ring. And he said, Pastor, we love you. He gave me several other expensive gifts. And I always felt he was treating me like the sons he wished he had. This is what God does for sinners when we turn to him. Keep your finger here and turn back to the second to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Zechariah. Look with me at chapter 3. And I want you to see a wonderful illustration of what God does for every sinner who believes in Jesus Christ. He comes to Him, whether great sinners or whether people who are, think they are very good. Look at Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken away your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. This is what God does to every single believer. He takes away the filthy rags, the filthy garments. And he closes up, clothes us in the pure and spotless righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
then you know how this parable ends. This parable ends with this boy rejoicing with God. Notice what the father did, verse 23. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Jewish people rarely ate meat at meals. Special calves like this were kept for banquets. When the calf was slaughtered and uh, prepared, the Jewish people went all out. They hired singers and musicians. There were guests. And what this symbolizes is the rejoicing of God over saved sinners. Now, we rejoice over what God has done for us, but this is God rejoicing over us and with us. Jesus regularly compared his kingdom to a banquet, so every Jew reading this story would know the image teaches that sinners who have come to Jesus are now welcomed into his family and into heaven. I love how Paul reflects on this joy in, in Romans chapter 5. Would you take your Bibles and turn there for just a moment? This is the joy that we have now. But it is also the joy that we awake on the day that we are fully saved and, and our life is hidden with God forever with Christ in heaven. But look at these words in Romans 5 starting at verse 8. This is our rejoicing in God and God's rejoicing in us. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved in eternity in heaven by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved someday by His very life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. That's the story of the prodigal son. Us rejoicing in God. God rejoicing over us and with us. About six weeks ago, we were at the Peeve. I met an NMU student by the name of Dylan. Some of you may know Dylan. As I often do when I'm at the Peeve, I ask students how things are going. Dylan said to me, things are going very well. I'm grateful the Lord has turned my life around. I don't hear that very often in the sound. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, my life was headed in the wrong direction. 
I was kicked out of Gwynn High School over my antics. Nothing was serious to me. He said things were worse for my brother. My brother was wanted in three counties. He ended up in the Marquette County Jail. A pastor who regularly shares the gospel in that jail witnessed to that older brother. He repented and turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was wonderfully saved. Can you believe it? His sentence was dismissed. He is now serving God faithfully in a church down in Appleton. Dylan said to me, his life was turned around 180 degrees. We knew there could be only one reason, Jesus. He said, I became a Christian. My sister trusted Jesus. My parents who had divorced, they became Christians. They're now remarried. He said when they divorced, they kicked me and my brother out of their home. He said, we have now forgiven them. And he said to me, our lives have been completely turned around because of what Jesus has done. How did Jesus end this parable? It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost. And now he's found. Now he's found. Let's bow our hearts together, shall we? Let's thank this wonderful God. Just before I lead us in closing prayer, God is at work in the world today. He is saving lost sinners. Whether they be in the depths of sin like the prodigal son and Dylan's brother, or whether they be self-righteous churchgoers who think everything is fine, God is at work in the world today saving sinners. Please do not miss out. Please do not miss out on God's desire to restore your life. In a moment we'll sing, we will go to other activities, our minds will be taken away from this story. But God wants you to be sure that you're found. Young person, are you found? Dad, are you found? Mom, are you found? Teenager, are you found? 
grandfather are you found? Listen, you can be found today. In your heart, as our eyes are bowed and our heads are closed, you can say, Oh God, I'm lost. Right this very moment, I'm changing my mind. I'm, I'm repenting. I'm coming to Jesus. Rags and all. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again for me. I want you to come into my life and save me. I want you to come into my heart and take over. Forgive me of my sins, which I know are many. Give me life from my condition of death. Make me this moment a child of God. Lord Jesus, I will arise and come to you. Because of your wonderful grace and mercy, I will now follow you all the days of my life. Oh God, today, I pray that this clearest of all gospel stories would penetrate hearts. I pray that you would draw people to yourself. I pray that it will always be said of Bethel, the gospel is proclaimed and believed and rejoiced in. And I ask, O oh God, that you will save sinners for Jesus' sake.